Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody to the small business, big life podcast. My name is Derek Vaness. I am your host. And today we are here to sprinkle all kinds of innovative ideas into your life, into your daily. And uh, we're even going to be talking about some money hacks today. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. But my special guest is an expert on money finance and all kinds of things and has a different approach than we do in a lot of different ways. So I think you're going to love this. So we have Lisa Brum on the show today. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks so much, Derek, for having me. This is awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. We were talking a little bit before the show, and you've got some areas of expertise that kind of complement some of the areas that I have. So yeah. I'm excited to compare notes and and learn a little bit more about some of the things that you're really good at. So maybe I can be a little better. Awesome. Yeah, I I love talking money. I mean, it's the geekiest thing we can do, right? So we might as well make it fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So Lisa, just for those who don't know who you are, why don't you tell us who you are? Tell us about your brand because it's super cool and uh, what you're up to in the world and how people connect can connect with you. Awesome. Well, I'm Lisa Brum and I'm CEO founder of My Financial Girlfriend. And um, I've been in the industry for 24, 25 years and I feel that um, I'm all that in financial resources. I love talking about money. I love researching, analyzing things about money and how it can work better for clients. But I can also am the girlfriend that can give people the hugs and the box of tissue if needed because money is kind of a touchy subject to some people who just feel really ill-prepared or not as knowledgeable as they'd like to be. Yeah, I think that's super common out there. And for anybody who starts to resonate with your message, Lisa, where can they find you online or connect with you? We'll we'll do this at the end, but I always want to point it out. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm out of Portland, Oregon, and we have a website. So it's www.myfinancialgirlfriend.com, all spelled out. And certainly all of our contact emails, however they'd like to get a hold of us, is probably the best way is to come through the website. We are sprinkling, you mentioned the word sprinkling, uh, new offices all over the United States. So um, Financial Girlfriend is definitely a philosophy and a unique approach to this industry that's somewhat archaic. And um, we just want to make people feel that there's accessibility in any and all questions. No such thing as a dumb question. Well, I am 100% behind you on that. Uh, Obviously, I talk to people about finances all the time. (laughs) And for a lot of people, it's awkward. It's vulnerable. It's all these things. So I love that you guys are making it fun, making it accessible making it light instead of heavy and and really allowing people to get into the conversation instead of feeling like they have to you know 
get financially naked in front of you to, to come through the door. Right. Cause I think that's, I've had people use those words with me and I'm like, yeah, that kind of describes it. (laughs) Sometimes I think of it as if I've ever hired a house cleaner before a big party or something, it's like kids pick everything up and put everything into the closet. You have to kind of clean up the house before you get the cleaners to come clean your house. So I I think that's how people feel about exposing themselves, as you say, with their money, because again, it's not a common conversation for most people. They, you know, I think about my parents, I'm 57 and my mom grew up through the twenties, thirties and forties. And, you know, she just never, that was a, like, I would believe that she would rather have talked about sex than she would have wanted to talk about money because it was such a, a taboo and such a thing that you don't you don't talk about those sort of things. So I think that's kind of a very Puritan way that Americans have kind of approached it. A hundred percent. And there's like a ton of things we could unpack there. But before we do that, yes. I want to <laughs> I want to ask your your biggest piece of advice for someone something you figured out, some advice someone gave you, but like, if you could really pass on one thing to business owners, investors, people who are trying to like move up in the world, what would you say to them? Uh, Somebody who's starting a business, I think the one biggest fault that I see on a regular basis is they're not asking for help from the right sources. And I mean, you know, uh, the financial side, you know, we kind of put that to the last on our list. Like we're going to do the business plan and I'll get all my, my business cards printed and my website done. But before even that, have you got a budget? Have you worked out a way to have those expenditures taken care of? And, and what, and what are the, you know, what are the over things that you're not thinking about that are going to slam you? And it's like, I get that a lot is that people are, like in their first or second year of business and they haven't really done the due diligence that I think that they should when it comes to the financial piece. Cause you're trying to make money, mm-hmm. not just spend money and hopefully break <laughs> even, right? Yes. You want profits. You want to be able to know that your investment in yourself and in your business and your service or a product is going to actually make you money. And so when we kind of dismiss the money side of it, I think we really miss the mark on how to be ramped up and ready to go and earn money. Yeah. What I, what I see a lot, and I have a lot of clients who are real estate investors and they're like the worst at this is they want to talk about how they're going to make money, but they don't want to be about it. They don't want to take the action. Like you said, you know, they want to spend, I literally had a friend say this to me and it, it blew my mind. She's, she's like, I was thinking about, you know, selling some of my clothes at the swap meet and everything. And I'm like, cool. And she's like, but I just can't settle on a brand that'll like really represent us when we go worldwide. And I was like, let's just <laughs> sell some clothes at the swap meet first. Right. Like, like that was a real conversation and she's super sweet and got, you know, huge dreams, but it was, but I see business owners do that all the time. They want to yeah. have the perfect logo and, and they want to have all the perfect colors in this website. That's going to beat these world changing websites. And it's like, Hey, let's start with the minimum viable product. I think, I think a minimum website can be important. I think business cards can be important if you're meeting people in person, right? I personally think business cards are really good so that you can get their business card, not yes. to give them away, but to get exactly. some yep. so you can actually call them. Um, so I agree with you hundred percent. You gotta, you really need to focus on generating revenue first. 
We just, um, I've been in, I've been financial girlfriend has existed for like the last three and a half years, mm-hmm. but I've obviously been in industry for greater than that. Yeah. And I can tell you that I never had a website until last May. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think it was necessary until now. Everything's more digital and social media. And, and although I was on social media, I can tell you that I, I it was the, it is literally the last thing that I ever even considered. And um, even business cards, I hate printing the paper for, no, I mean, I'm an Oregonian. So yes, I've hugged a tree or two. So, um, but I've turned my, my business card is really just a, image that I'm emailing or, or texting to someone. So they have all the pertinent information. Again, I think, you know, we kind of follow the, whatever, you know, books from 25 years ago, and that is not what we're doing nowadays. So we have to keep moving and growing and really thinking of, I think women tend to not think about the profitability. They just want to break even. Like, you know, if they're making cookies or jam at the Saturday markets, they want to just, you know, get back what they put into it, but without even thinking that they need to, you know, maybe they do need to charge $15 for a jar of homemade pickles. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the, you have to kind of do the cost analysis, right? Well, and I think what people aren't valuing there is their own time, their own Mm -hmm. energy, right? And listen, when you, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you might have especially if the kids are in school, you might have more time. So it's easy to devalue, but that doesn't actually make your time worth less. And, uh, and so we, we have to take that into consideration and yeah, I think you're bringing up some really valid points here of, of people who don't value themselves. So they don't charge for their services. And if you don't charge, then you can't stay in business is what really happens. And then you don't get to serve anybody. And then you wonder what you did wrong. So, yeah. So I love it. So Lisa, just tell me, how did you, how did you get into the industry? Uh, I don't think anybody, well, maybe a few people think that growing up, I'm going to be a financial strategist or planner or tax person, <laughs> right. geeked out about taxes for half a sec. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think anybody thinks that. So how did you end up here? What, what got you in? Yeah, um, actually, so born and raised Portland, Oregon. I went to Portland State University, which is right downtown Portland. And I went into, as a freshman, I went into the, I tested into the junior year of the French class. I loved language. I loved, I think I really loved the idea of learning about other cultures and meeting new people and traveling. Those are always my top go-tos. And um, so when I did that, uh, they also said, oh, by the way, Lisa, you have to take one of those things called an elective. And I went, oh, so I checked the first one. I think it literally was the top of the of the list and it was accounting 101. And when I did that, after going into that class, I've always liked numbers. I've always felt really strong with math skills and stuff. But when I got into accounting, it, it, whatever was firing up my left side for my creativity and meeting and extrovertness, um, then I, the money side and reconciliation and things balanced. And if it didn't balance, you could, you could detective and you could figure out where the problem was. And it was very, the analytical and rational part of that side of my brain obviously was, you know, lacking something in my life and it just clicked. And so I ended up thinking, who doesn't need a French speaking CPA, right? Of course. Super common. That'd be unsure. So, um, so I ended up working as an intern in my latter years of college, and ended up uh, realizing that I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be the type of person that could be stuck behind a computer in a cube doing mm. spreadsheets, Lotus spreadsheets before Excel even showed up. So, yeah. Um, 
I was just, and basically I was like an admin. I really wasn't learning much about the accounting of it. I was just, you know, filling time between two and four in the afternoon. So, um, so I ended up working for First Interstate Bank, which was um, in that, in the heyday of banking, it was like excellence in service. I mean, never say no to a client, do anything, reverse the fee. You have the authority and the wherewithal to make it right for the client from the, from the working in the, that environment. That was, it was beautiful. Cool. So I worked yeah. my way up through work, being a banker when Wells Fargo contained, uh, did the hostile takeover in the early nineties, um, it was it was a 180 degree shift. It was make them go out to the ATM to spend 25 cents to get their balances. And mm. to me, my head was just spinning out of control. It was like, this cannot happen. I cannot, I cannot deal. So I ended up taking a package and ending up with four months on my hands of what to do. I had a three-year-old son, so it was really easy for me to sign up for that and just go for it and tell my husband we're going to figure this out together. Right, right. And um, yeah, and so I, I basically answered an ad about being a financial planner, a financial licensed financial professional. So mm. I uh, went through the ropes and did all the testing and licensing that it takes to do securities and insurances. And I ended up, you know, starting my path of, and, and what I see in hindsight is I really excelled at the service. If I can just make people happy and help them understand how things work and really just collaborate with them and understand their point of view mm -hmm. so that I can enter, you know, make recommendations. So really, I think it's, yes, I'm in an industry that you know, investments and insurance and all those products that are out there. But I really just see myself as a person who kind of brings aha moments into their money life, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I didn't know I could do that, or I didn't know that that was possible. And those are my best. Those are the things that just get me all giddy about it. And that's really just helping people light up and be very curious about how money could work in a different way than they've ever been taught. Yeah, I relate with that. A hundred percent, because what I discovered is I love to learn and I love to teach. And finances is one of those areas where there's just not a lot of great information out there for people. It's a black hole, really, if you think about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I read the articles on Medium and some of these things and I'm like, who is putting this stuff out there? Some of this, I mean, some of it is just a difference of opinion, right? Mm -hmm. um, other things are blatantly incorrect. And I'm like, how how can you give financial advice when you're not even telling people how this works at all? You know, right. how loans work or how, like, I don't know. It's crazy. Long yeah. story short, I, I totally relate with what you're saying because it is about people. And I think a big part, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about this, but, uh, and maybe this is where the brand came from, but I think a big part of what makes you different or sounds like makes you different is is that you really do try to, I think most financial planners would say they care about people, but I just mm -hmm. get in your messaging and everything that you really are trying to make it more accessible. Where, where did the idea of the financial girlfriend come from? Because from a branding standpoint, I think it's super brilliant. It was um, I, it was a lightning strike in, in the middle of a panicked moment, actually. <laughs> I was pulled up on stage by an impromptu pulling of my ticket out of a bucket. And it was called the minute at the mic at the beginning of this new women's 
networking group. There was like 200 women in this audience. It was at night. It was a mixer. So there was a bar in the back. And, you know, it was really just kind of kick your heels off and really just talk money or sorry, talk about girlfriend stuff, you know, just trying to find friendships and not really push your product or anything. And it was much more of a, a club, if you will. And so um, mm. I put my put my name into the jar for a charity. My $20 was going to a children's charity. Uh-huh. And I was one of the first people pulled out with this, you know, music and lights and a stage and a microphone. <laughs> and I was like, how did I get myself into this? And I'm, I literally, my stomach sunk. I was doing the night sweats. I was like, I was starstruck. I was kind of walking up to the stage as if my feet were in cement. I was just, and I was trying to say, what am I going to, you know, what, what are you going to try to say to yourself, Lisa? And I remember two things, make them laugh and get the hell off the stage. And that's literally, I went up there without any preconceived idea. I can't even really say if I knew what I was saying, but mm-hmm. it came out in when others have told me, it came out something like, Ladies, we're all in business. We're all making coffee dates and lunch dates. And we'll go to the bathroom and talk about money and your businesses. But why aren't you talking to your financial girlfriend? And I'll be over by the bar. And I literally just fell off the stage. I mean, I ran as fast as I possibly could get off that stage. And I took a breath. And then I went, hmm, I wonder what I said. Because people at the end were just coming like, who are you? What do you do? What's that financial what? And and they, they mm-hmm. could not understand I had said anything that was out of the realm of norm, right? It was like, and and I kind of caused a buzz about that and it became a tagline. Mm -hmm. And then I went into a business leadership program, had signed up to be part of this masterclass, if you will, for kind of C-level people who were putting marketing plans together. And I'm like, oh, this is a great marketing plan that financial girlfriend, one, the industry is always trying to get more women into the industry because there is some facts and measurables that we do handle money in a very prudent and very, you know, uh, thoughtful way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we not only want to win, we want to win for the people that we're taking care of the money for, but we want like everyone to win. Like if it's our own personal money, yes, we'll take care of our family and ourselves, but there's a lot of, you know, philanthropy and giving back to, you know, caring for other causes and things that we care about in our communities. And so um, getting more women in the industry. But my second one was how about women who just don't feel like they can deserve to work with a financial professional. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then that really is kind of the thing is that I know that sometimes I feel like if I ever go to get a car with my husband, I kind of feel like I'm not talked to. I'm not even like, I'm just there to sign the pen at the end because they're doing the haggling. And I, you know, I know that women tend to feel that way in other industries too. So I thought, well, this isn't unusual. And if I focus on women, I know I'll work with everyone because everyone wants to feel that and feel that they're been heard and yeah. they have good critical thinking ideas. Yeah, no, I think it's it's awesome and and wonderful. And you know, being a man, I don't necessarily know that from the inside out. <laughs> right. But I but I hear the complaint all the time. I just don't experience it. So I'm glad that there are people who get that and can and can really relate with and, and talk to everybody. And listen, I mean, I have my moments when I don't get heard and I don't like it at all. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine what it would be like to have that happening on a more regular basis. I'd probably want to punch somebody's lights out or something. Yeah. So, so instead of 
punching anyone. I just decided to start my own company, my own firm about three and a half years ago. And um, I've really just like, I feel like I've lit up because of that. I'm not sitting, you know, I'm not just waiting for the phone call to come. I'm out there. I'm actively doing podcast interviews and really wanting just to kind of understand, you know, have people understand that there's a resource and there's people out here that are willing to assist in whatever degree that they wish. Yeah. I think it's important for people to know because, you know, there, there is, I think in the financial world, there is this posturing that goes on, right? We're the, we're the richest, we're the Oak desk, we're the, you know, super serious. And we just sit back here and just crunch numbers all day. And it's funny because if you get behind the scenes, tell me what you think about this. I think that there are a ton of financial people who don't know anything except for how to sell their product. I mean, I really think there's a lot of people who aren't very well educated. They know what their manager taught them in their first three months and, Mm -hmm. and that's it. You know, that's, that is the nail on the head because I talk about that as being like the time. Have you ever talked to an inf- a financial advisor? And I don't put any blame on them because they are trained. They are trained to push product, but yep. it feels like a timeshare sale. It's like you're trying to back away slowly and you don't really want to cause any disruption in the, co- you know, in the awkwardness. Right. And so, um, I really feel that, and I'm probably uniquely because where I came from thinking that you know, an accounting world to the banking world. Yeah. Not a lot of folks have that background that I find. And there's so few women. I mean, we're scarce. There's only 16% of all advisors in the United States are women. So I think I am uniquely qualified in the sense that how women feel, but more so to the fact that it really just is, it shouldn't be rocket science. You shouldn't have to kowtow at someone's feet you're not wasting my time. It's a matter of just unraveling step by step the plans and targets that you want to hit. And so that's really why I kind of find kind of unveiling. I'm a little bit of unveiling what the behind the scenes are so that we can really start having good conversations, healthy conversations around money. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a the, that's a big part of the messaging that I I think people get is um the traditional financial thing is kind of like, Hey, you're not really smart enough to do this with your money. So give it to us. Cause we're real smart and we'll manage it for you. Right. And I think you're pulling back the curtain and saying, Hey, you're actually smart enough for this because you know, a lot of these people who are doing it aren't any smarter than you. They may have a different education or a little more education, but yeah. you know, they're just regular people too. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's almost, and maybe this is controversial, but I think it's almost an insult to tell people that they're not smart enough to manage their own money. They, they made it, you know, they should be able to yeah. have a say in what happens with their money to some extent. I talk about that a lot um, just because I, I, you know, when you get feedback, it's like how, one of the questions I usually ask is, have you ever worked with or spoken with a financial advisor prior to working or talking with me? Mm-hmm. And I had this one woman who came, who actually sent me an email after our first appointment, just saying that, you know, she almost felt worse after she'd seen someone in one of the big tall buildings in the downtown and riding down the elevator, she felt like she was worth it. There was no worth. It was, she was like totally devalued. There's nothing that she could do. She was stuck. And I, you know, I didn't see it that way at all. And so I just, again, I think of all of those feelings. I I know that that's not unique. I think that's more predominant Mm -hmm. and that we really need to change the way that financial services 
attract everyone. Everyone has, there's no, you know, I don't have a tattoo of what my net worth is. So treat me as if I am a VIP. And that's really how I have that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. I love that we're finding so much common ground here. Yeah. I, I, I actually try not to, in the beginning, even ask people what they make or any of that, just mm-hmm. so that I can treat the person. Yeah. Now, once we get into the specifics of what they need, there's different yeah. strategies depending on where they're at in life. But I, I really just try and connect with the person. It sounds like yes. that's obviously the the key for you. And I, and I love your your shame free zone. So tell me where that came from because I think it's really important. Yeah, because you know, at some point when you, after you've met so many people and the, all their stories and all their backgrounds and stuff, you just—I always felt like I was in this confessional, like I was the per, the priest, and it was this <laughs> confessional, and it just didn't have that you know the partition in between us. But I just felt like people really were unveiling all of these things that they really can't speak out loud, right? They just never felt that there was a place to do that in, and so shame-free zone came again. It was one of those lightning moments, but. I'm like, no shame, no regrets. I am like my best friend's sister. So she's kind of like a little sister to me. But one time she came, uh, we came over and we were talking and stuff. And she's like, Lisa, you are the least judgmental person I have ever truly met. And I thought that was a huge compliment to me. And I've kind of felt that and resonated with it. And and it was probably about the same time where I just started saying, shame-free zone. You can tell me anything here. It's four walls. It's completely completely private and confidential. Hey, I'm your girl. I'm never going to spill secrets on anything. And so just bring it up and let's talk and work it through. And what, and Pete, the relief that you see people have their shoulders go down and they, and they take this huge breath and it just becomes, uh, it becomes part of that unveiling and unraveling all the kind of stuff that we keep in our heads. And that tells us that we can't do something when in fact, I think there's not anything that we can't help people with when it comes to looking at pieces of their money. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, you have pieces of their money. You have, uh, I know you have a book and we're going to talk about that at the end here, but give me a couple of things that you, you mentioned that you have, like you really bring this down to earth for people. And I think for anybody who's listening to this, if you're not aware, this is, this is kind of a masterclass in marketing, right? We've got a great name. We've got some really catchy things that that are meaningful to people. And so, Lisa, you've also got this ground floor, you know, 15 money hacks or things that people can do in their day-to-day life. Can you share like two or three of those with us just so that people can get a taste of the types of things that you do to make this yes. accessible? Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> number one is... Uh, This is a great time uh, to take that assessment and look at your fixed reoccurring bills, the bills that always show up, right? The the phone bill, the water bill, the electric bill, the credit card, all of the things that always show up. And part of the fix, if you're looking only at the fixed, because again, somebody might say, oh, you know, you're going to tell me not to have a mocha every morning at Starbucks or, you know, my favorite coffee shop. And I'm going to say, nope. I go, if somebody told me I couldn't have mine, are you kidding me? You wouldn't be able to even want to hang out with me for 15 minutes if I didn't have my amount of coffee I need. (laughs) So, so it's not the discretionary. It's not the things that we create about our lives and our lifestyles. It's really about those fixed expenses, car insurance, 
how we pay our taxes. That's a fixed bill that shows up either through your paycheck or a quarterly statement or quarterly payments. So every single time somebody has to send money out to pay something or to keep the phone bill paid and keep your phone on, um, I would just, we, we have ways that you can literally refigure some of your cash cash flow in the expenses that go out and all I, car insurance is probably one of the better examples of that is because when we get a car we have you know drive on the road off the lot you have to have car insurance so most people get it like in a hurry or they go online or they call their broker and they get sure. it up and does 179 dollars a month sound good and you'll go yeah that's it and you're not asking all the in-depth questions, but you get the binder, you get to drive it home, all that stuff. But I think it gets also set aside in the drawer and never gets looked at again. And most of the time when you're paying for insurance, car insurance that you have full coverage on, the, uh, the collision portion where you cause the accident, but you still want your car to be restored, that is generally the highest or second highest part of what that premium has been calculated on. Uh And most advise, you know, most, again, you know, I'm not saying I'm blaming the insurance agents. I know a lot of great insurance agents that will show you how to pay it in the least expensive way. And those are the ones that I gravitate to. But when you have a high deductible, like a 500 or a thousand dollars, that means you have to pay that first, Mm -hmm. then your premium is lower. So most people, I look at somebody's car insurance coverage, it's full coverage and see that their collision is 250. And they're generally paying 20 to 30% a month in payments out because they didn't ask the question to get it or think that they could afford a higher deductible. So there's strategies to help them build the pile of money that pays for the collision if something, God forbid, happened. And then at such time that you have $1,000 set aside, turn off that part of the premium and increase your deductible so that you are not paying that thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're going to be, a, I would say, how much, how many years are you going to be a driver? You know, I'm 57 and I hope to drive for the next 25 to 30 years. Well, that's a lot of money out the door. Even if it's only $12 and 62 cents in the monthly savings, that's thousands of dollars over that time. Yeah. Well, and, and you bring up a really good point because I sold uh, health insurance at one point for yeah. a period of time. Health insurance is the worst. People think they need this really low deductible yeah. and, and they feel like they need these doctor visits, right? And if you've got three kids, maybe you do. But like, if you don't, what I found is if you sit down and do the math yeah. to have the doctor visit. So instead of paying a hundred or $120 for a doctor visit, you get to pay 40 or 60, right? But you maybe get three or four visits a year but your payment's like an extra hundred or 200 bucks a month. So you're paying $1,200. And even if you use all those visits, you might save 180. Why would you ever do that? Or I see it with prescription drugs or some of these other things that um, are really unnecessary, but people feel like they want to have them. It's a convenience, Mm -hmm. but they don't realize if you just took the extra hundred bucks a month, put it in your savings account. And then at the end of the year, you'd have way more money. And you know, if you had to pay a couple doctor visits or whatever along the way, Uh, A lot of these coverages, like you're saying, Lisa, if we just break them down and we look Mm at what's the most essential thing, like with the usage, right? How it's being used. Yeah. Because everybody's needs are different, like with health insurance or with car insurance, the same price to go from a 500 to a thousand dollar deductible. A lot of times is the difference between 250,000 of coverage and 500,000 of coverage, right? It's not going to happen nearly as often as the deductible, but if you had to pay an extra 500, 
or an extra $250,000 if you got in that really bad car wreck, right. which, which one do you want to pay for? Right. Mm-hmm. So we just got to be smart. So I love that one. Um, yeah. Maybe share one more in there that okay. you think is a, a real good one. Cause I want people to hear, like, get some ideas. So this one actually came when my son was six years old, <laughs> but I've been using it forever. And pe- again, it lights people up, but most people have auto direct deposit. Like if they're working mm-hmm. or even self-employment, you know, you have a way to transfer money electronically from your business account to your checking a personal checking account. But, but I, I ask people to try it for a month or two. And if you really hate it, then turn it back. It's your money. You can do with what you want. But have if you're if you're employed and you have a paycheck, have it direct deposited to a savings account. And then know exactly that all my bills every month and including food and gas in my car or whatever adds up to three thousand dollars a month or fourth, whatever that dollar amount is. Get that's the amount that you transfer over. And, and maybe you have to do it twice a month because you get paid twice a month or something, but just know what your bills are, right? It makes mm-hmm. it kind of forces us to keep the guardrails up, like, oh yeah, this is about how much money we spend on food, or this is how much we spend on, but you know, your gym bills and all of the things that you know normal life would encounter. Mm-hmm. But that's the only portion that really gets transferred over. And everything else just has a place to stay in your savings. And that's how you build up your reserve. That's how you initially can start building up a healthy savings account to catch all those emergencies and oopsies of life. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. We do it almost the opposite way, but I, I'm going to have to think through that. I really like it. We usually have people set up, you know, if you get paid on the first and the 15th, 10% or 20% or whatever you're trying to save automatically gets saved into the save. savings account. But you're saying save Start. everything and then pull the money out that you need to pay your bills over to the checking account. And, uh, and that way you're really maxing out your savings, which I think yeah. is pretty cool. I because like that. then what happens is if you have that money sitting in your checking and you happen to go to someplace and you have your debit card, it's going to get swiped, right? So that's what I see is people say, oh, I just don't know where all the money's going. I know that I make well good money and I know that I have the savings auto transferred. But if you start the, the mindset is you start in the savings, it's like you're already ahead. You're already saving your money. And now I just intentionally move the money that I know that I need to spend because I've already agreed with myself that I only really want to spend X amount on food or X amount on going out on the weekends with my husband or whatever. We've already had that agreement up front. So let's just make it so that our money is really, it it starts out in the savings and it's a whole nother feeling that you're already on top of your game, right? Yeah, no, I I totally agree that there's nothing more empowering, especially in the beginning, because I made a fortune and then like lost it in the real estate crash and then had to make it again. There's nothing more powerful than those first couple of months of like really saving and watching that savings account grow and going from very little in there to like, wow, I have, like, I don't have to lose sleep about this and I can buy things without having to think about every single penny. I remember standing in a target when I was super broke right after 2008, Mm. like just gut wrenchingly to buy this $20 blanket for my bed because, (sighs) because I wasn't sure I could afford it. And I sat there for an hour and a half pacing back and forth in this aisle because that was such a big amount of money to me. And then once I really started working, I was just getting uh, started in a new job at the time. Uh, you know, saving was on my priority list and it felt so good to get that yeah. in there. So 
Uh, I love that. I think that's a really like the reverse way, which a lot of times is the way the wealthy do things, right? The opposite of everyone else. It is. It's empowering. It's, and and it's all about empowerment over money because that's the one place where I think most Americans just automatically feel that they're in the, the, the low end of that. Like they're never going to, like, it's a never going to get their kind of attitude because I think we've just been beat down so much, but I laugh, I laugh because my six-year-old son was the one who told me about that when he, he had a little bank that uh, we had gotten long story, but it had three sections in it. It was like a plastic bank with three slots and three sections. And when he'd get coin or, or money, he would like, if he got a dollar from his dad for doing a chore, Mm -hmm. he would ask it in coin so that he could put a third, a third, a third in each. It just automatically made, well, I have to put equal amounts in each of the three sections. And and then when he started his first job as an umpire for baseball, mm-hmm. he, he's like, mom, why can't I just sign the form and have him put it into my savings? You know? And I'm like, yeah, you're smart. That's a smart thing to do. He's by his DNA is imprinted with being a saver. I think he's, <laughs> I think, I think that's a whole nother thing. It's like some people are just born savers and born spenders. Yeah. Spenders don't want to save savers don't want to spend, but we have to do the balance of both. <laughs> For, for sure. A hundred percent. So, so Lisa, tell me real quick, you've obviously you're, you're sprinkling locations all over the country. You've grown your business to this point. Tell me about uh, maybe one of the big challenges that you've had along the way and what you kind of figured out. Cause a lot of our listeners, they're business owners, they're moving along and we all run into different challenges. And I just, I love to get stories from the trenches, things that you've uh, real life stuff you've learned. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, um, and it's, you know, it's going to be that it's like a yo-yo, right? You think you got a handle on it and then it goes down. And then when it comes back up, you're like, yay, it's going to work. Um, but it's cash flow. I think that's probably, it's for small business owners. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we almost have to face it on the daily, right? We just have to always feel that there, we're ahead of it and that we're anticipating the worst so that we can really flourish. And I really think that part of that is, you know, cause we all kind of like live or die by what happens each month. Right. Like, sure. like what's, what's going to happen this month though. I'm a whole new, you know, it's the reset of a clock in the first of every month. It's a whole new reset. And so I think the, you know, even this year, this past 2020, I've looked at ways to increase cash flow in different streams and having different ways that we can service keep in mind that we're always looking to service our clients, but how mm-hmm. can we do it in a way that's still going to kind of keep the, the sustainability of the, of the cash flow kind of at a maintenance level, at least. And that's really been one of probably the biggest heartaches and, and uh, sleepless nights that I've had to go through. Yeah. Just figuring out cash flow and then re- recurring revenue, right? Like yes. that's, Yes. Yeah. We've worked really hard to do that, to find products or services or things that are genuinely valuable to businesses that create yeah. cash flow for us and create benefit for them. So it's truly, yes. you know, the right thing. Uh, yeah. We've worked really, really hard at that because it, it does make a difference if you've got a couple thousand or, or 10,000 or whatever, every month that comes in. So yeah. when you open up the doors, you're like, we're okay. Okay. Yes, gives us that breathing room because uh, kind of going back to that timeshare salesman approach is that uh, one thing that we get is the refreshing piece that the clients relay back to us is that we're on their time frame. 
where, you know, it's not, I have to race to the 31st to get something signed up for. It's like, we're very relaxed. We're doing everything based on, I always say, you're the driver. I'm just the map reader. And you're telling me what your highest priorities are. And if we're going to go there by skateboard or jet fuel, you know, it's like, it's all up to you and how you want to digest the information and take the time that you probably never got before just to make these solid you know, rock solid decisions about how you want to set up your money and how you want it to work the best for you. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Uh, one of my favorite things is the idea of return on emotion instead of return on investment, <laughs> right? Making decisions that make you feel comfortable, that make you feel confident, that make you feel powerful. Ultimately to me, those are the best decisions. So yeah. And yeah. they have to use that. <laughs> you, you can steal it. That's totally fine. Cause I think it needs to be out there more. Like that's, yes. that's a big one about buying a house or paying off my house early is mm-hmm. if you run the numbers, paying off your house early, never makes sense. Right. Financially, especially right. in today's interest rate. Yeah. Yeah. But emotionally it has a payoff for certain people and you have to weigh out what yeah. I rather have my money tied up in equity and I can't get to it but it's saving me interest or out there yeah. earning, but I still have a house payment. Like, how do you sleep at night? Yeah, that's a factor that I just feel like is so untalked about. And it sounds like without using those exact words, you guys really weigh that in. Yes. I, I, I The ter- term I've been using is emotional intelligence, you know, just giving people credit that they have emotional intelligence because money is such a, a it's such a Right. I mean, if, if you're if you're in a place where there's tons of money, you feel lighter, you feel happier, you feel like, oh, I can handle anything. Throw it at me now. Yeah. And when you when you're in the lack and you have very little to work with and maybe much like what you were talking about being in Target, getting the blanket, it's just like the worry, the stress, the anxiety sets in and it just kind of overtakes your whole brain and whole motion. So I try to I try to see where that's at in a in money talk. And mm-hmm. we try to chafe it away so that we can really just look at what is the rational piece of your brain telling you what to do and how you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That is so good. So Lisa, for those yes. who are, who are listening and uh, loving your story, loving your approach, excited about what you do, how do they find you? And I think you mentioned you might have a free gift for us. So tell us about yeah, that. Just um, go to the website, www.myfinancialgirlfriend.com. It talks about all of our philosophies and how we help people, but it has, um, it has, it's not an annoying push you in your face thing, but like after you're, after you've been on the page for a certain amount of time and a pop-up comes in mm-hmm. and says, would you like a free top 15 money hack? And it's just give us your name and your email and then that will get um, sent off to you directly. And it's kind of just, it looks like a, a, a bulletin board with lots of little post-it notes. And it has just little comments about how to save money in very, what seem, you know, seemingly is those pennies in the jars at 7-Eleven, but it's just <laughs> little pennies here and pennies there. And it helps you just realize that you have more control over your money than you might think you do. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I truly believe that systemizing your money is the key, right? All these little things that work for you. And over time, all those little trickles turn into that money river that everybody's looking for. It does. Yes. Yeah. So very cool. Well, I I really appreciate you taking some time, but I want to give you another 30 to 90 seconds here to just share whatever you think is important or say whatever you want to say. I feel like you obviously have a very powerful voice in the world and probably some pretty strong ideas about things. So 
What do you think is important <laughs> yeah. to share? Well, I will say my current rant right now is um, with women and people of color, I feel are a huge, um, hugely ignored in the financial industry elsewhere, of course, as well. But my my niche being in the financial world is that, um, you know, and I think maybe we were talking about this, but I I always feel like I'm being dismissed. Like if mm. I have a question. And I'm not an annoyance. I should not be an annoyance. So maybe I have a customer snob, customer service snob button. But when it gets pushed, I go ballistic. And I just want people to realize that all Americans have access to tax code. Now, maybe you don't own a multi-million dollar company yet, Mm -hmm. but tax code is applicable to everyone. It's just scalable to wherever you are and having those resources, having people to ask the questions and maybe even not know what those questions should be, but just knowing that somebody's going to be giving you some information that gives you the best of what, what could be. And um, so I think with women, you know, we work hard as hard as everyone but we also don't make as much as money as everyone. So I have this whole thing about equality of pay and equality of salary and wages and the same jobs and, and standing up for what you believe. Because I think that's another thing is we we may have voices in our own homes, but sometimes going outside of that and, and telling people how you really feel is harder to do sometimes too. So I think equality of pay, uh, we tend to live longer. So if we're not in charge of our finances right now, we will be at some point in this on this planet because we're going to outlive our partners most likely. So we just, again, we have to kind of understand that if it's not now, just know that it's coming up and it's going to be something that's going to don't make it be a ton of bricks on you. Make it so that you've had some steps towards planning and setting yourself up so that it's successful. Okay. I love that. And I think all of those things are, are super important. I'm not as on the front lines as you are, but I've, <laughs> I've had some, uh, I've had some experience. I had Bell's palsy once and, uh, mm-hmm. half of my face wasn't working and it was amazing to me how much more I got dismissed and people didn't look at me and people didn't want to talk to me. And I can only imagine, you know, even a small piece of that, uh, in life. And, and all I felt like was inside is I'm the same person. Why are you treating me differently? Exactly. And that's maybe my closest way to relate, but I, I appreciate you saying that and sharing that. Yeah. Thanks. So, Thanks so at least yeah, Lisa, so, so many good ideas, so many good tips. Definitely go get her her 15 money hacks because listen, nobody has has too many ways to keep money in their pockets. Right. And and she's obviously brought up some really important things, things that people overlook and uh and I think it's going to be super valuable. So Lisa, thank you for taking some time today. Thanks, Derek. I really appreciate this. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com 
Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Benes, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business big life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.